Hi, welcome to a very special bonus episode of Town Hall, a black queer podcast with Bob the Drag Queen and Peppermint. The podcast where we journey through a theme by sharing stories, music, poetry, and art of bearing depth and hilarity. Today's uh, bonus episode will be just the two of us discussing the recent drag bands that affect us as part of the black queer community. Uh, we are black uh, queer people after all. <laughs> um, and... You know, before we get started, Pep, I I, I want to say that um, I ran into a, a friend of yours at the Glad Awards last night. Uh, of course, in New York City, you you, you can't uh, throw a rock without hitting someone who knows uh, Peppermint. You know, but I I was on the red carpet with her, and and, and we were side by side doing interviews, and then she, you know, I, I meet a lot of people who are always like, I know Peppermint, <laughs> which, which I'm like, maybe she is a a very uh, famed and acclaimed drag superstar well talking about famed and acclaimed yeah. at the glad awards last night you and the we're here team and then also you and Moni exchange you had a double win uh for both yeah, sibling I rivalry did. podcast and we're here so congratulations uh on the now this makes your you. third glad award that you you'll have at your like actual statue that you'll have at your house right this is my fourth. Oh my award. gosh! Congratulations! It was just a beautiful place. Glad, and I always say it's really great because you know I believe that shows like Pose and Legendary and We're Here and RuPaul's Drag Race are getting nominated and recognized at the Emmys and Golden Globes and stuff. But for a long time, the Glad Media Awards were the only place recognizing queer content. Yeah, you yeah, know that's for and that's for and true. to get recognition in in the in the queer space for media, it was only from Glad and. and and I think it's because of Glad that these other places have now caught wind of how remarkable a lot of the work coming out of the queer community. It's true. Glad does a lot of work. Uh, mo- most most of it's behind the scenes, and so a lot yeah. of the time and effort. I mean, they work all year round. I think most people only their their biggest sort of connection or um, understanding of Glad is just the is the awards. But they do a lot of work all year long, um, working with obviously whenever a celebrity has or someone in the public eye or a company has a moment uh, that's you know seen as derogatory or anti-trans or anti-gay or something, uh, maybe there's a statement that needs to be put out, and so Glad will work with those folks to make a statement, but also work with them to bring them to a point of you know education and enlightenment. Um, and try to work to make sure that they understand why whatever they did was possibly wrong. But then on the, uh, beyond that, they work with, you know, I remember they were doing a lot of work with Twitter, um, uh, on, you know, revising, this is pre Elon Musk on revising their, uh, transparency behind their hate speech, uh, regulations and guidelines, you know, uh, particularly with regards to dead naming and and so on and so forth. There was a really big sort of, along with this anti-LGBTQ wave, there was, a, 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 it was in fashion for a lot of, uh, I guess I would call them anti-trans or possibly even right-wing creators and people on Twitter using, you know, the dead names of people. Uh, the most famous, I think, was... Um, when Elliot Page came out, Jordan Peterson, who's a, a, a content creator and a talking head uh, with who works under Ben Shapiro, uh, basically, um, was really had like this campaign against uh, Elliot Page and constantly deadnaming him. And so Glad was working with Twitter to kind of curb that and make sure that, you know, that it wasn't just the individual who was targeted who had to try to fight against these things. Now those guidelines have been stripped away, but GLAD has been working with a lot of other organizations as well to help, especially social media, since social media is such a big part of our our lives and it's where we get the news, it's where we communicate with people, it's where we build community. Um, and it's also where a lot of people you know, decide to spread misinformation and attack the LGBTQ community. I always think about when I'm living and how lucky I am to be living now. Um, and I always think to myself, I could have been born black and queer 300 years ago in America. Oof, oof, woof. I think about that all the time. Um, but not to, not to, an, not to have an existential crisis on, 
on the on the podcast. Uh, how 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 have rehearsals been for you? They've been really good. I mean, but I don't want to to also gloss over the fact that you also won a Peabody Award. This, I mean, just like three days ago. Um, and so the awards just keep coming and coming in. And before that, it was a Queerity Award. So you've had a really good yeah. year. Uh, and I'm just so glad that we've been able to uh, recognize and celebrate you and the things that you've been doing and also the projects that you've been, uh, that a lot of people have worked really hard for, like we're here. Um, I just think it's amazing. And, and it's, it's, it's just, you know, even though it is, you know, glad primarily, like you said, has been the, the main um, media recognition over the past few years. It is really great to see whether these, whether you're getting awards or not, it's just really great to sit back and be able to see, oh, wow, this is what my friend is doing. And this is what the community is doing. And we are, we have a, a really like wide array of content and stories that uplift our community um, especially in this moment. And so this is a great, you know, maybe this is a, a, an excuse for people to go back and start watching We're Here or go back and listen to the thousands of episodes of uh, Sibling Rivalry. Um, you know, yeah, go back a few years to 2020. Maybe they don't want to go back to 2020. <laughs> I mean, well, we, I think we started in 2018. 2018? Okay. And I would not recommend listening it was our first episode. I edited the first whole, the first 13 episodes I edited myself and they were really, really uh, great uh, content, horrible quality. So <laughs> if anyone wants to venture back that far, feel free. We have lots of other great content. That being said, enough, enough about me. Let's talk about us. And by us, I mean the black queer community. While black queer people have to live our lives and make our money and take care of our families mm-hmm. and feed our bodies and exercise and try to uh, enjoy art and culture mm-hmm. and friendship, there's also an onslaught of these um, anti-trans, anti-LGBTQIA+, um, in general, laws. Uh, and specifically, uh, a big focus now is these these uh, the drag bands. You know, the conservative culture war against the LGBTQIA community wages on a slew of attacks on drag shows. Um, enacted multiple, has been enacted in multiple states nationwide, and some bills have even passed, um, which is kind of wild because it's kind of had that um, an, like an opposite effect. Like there's now there's I feel like there's more drag in Tennessee now than they probably. Overhead over this amount of time. I mean, time. speaking of Marin Morris, you know, who, she, you know, she was Marin Morris, uh, Lizzo, uh, um, another star, I can't, the name escapes me, uh, mainstream musician, uh, when they've gone to Tennessee, have, and even Madonna, I think, mentioned, I mean, she obviously has you on the tour and there's, and there's lots of queer people around. Um, uh, Beyonce was has been used as an example. Well, yeah, Madonna actually added a show in Tennessee after after the Tennessee after the drag band. Madonna added a show in Tennessee, right. so we weren't even going there before, but now we are going there. Mm-hmm. And let's see if I make it to the show without getting arrested. Um, and uh, it, it is really I'm I'm actually you know I'm, a, a sidebar to the sidebar. Uh, you know I'm I love Beyonce. I think she's wonderful. She's not my number one diva. There's other because I'm a little older, so the divas that I'm, you know, Janet's my number one diva and always will be. But I think people were I was like super disappointed that we weren't we're not gonna get a vi- we didn't have not yet gotten a visual a visual album or music videos to support Renaissance. Um obviously it's a hit even yeah. without it. But uh I am grateful to see that now that she's kicked off her tour, uh, she has so many, I mean, I, th- I think everyone on the tour with her, I mean, in terms of the dancers um, are queer, which is not that unusual. Dancers are usually gay anyway. Um, but she's got trans folks and, and non-binary folks on the tour. She has Jonte on the tour. I don't know if you remember Jonte. I, what what another name? Jonte uh, is a, a a dancer and a musician. Sort, I guess Jonte is sort of like the 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 sort of the black southern version of Pablo Vitar. That's how I would describe Jonte. But but Jonte's been doing it 
for for nearly for for many 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 years. I won't say how many, but more than ten. <laughs> um, and Jante it was one of the backup dancers beyond behind Beyonce um, in Freakum Dress in the Freakum Dress music video. Um, and it was Ramon and Jante who oh. were the two dancers in Freakum Dress, and also were they. Di- I know Jante. Yeah, I think they both danced with. Um, Beyonce on the Tyra Banks show when she when they did single ladies because they were her single her first set of single ladies dancers um and so Jante has choreographed for Beyonce and also obviously danced behind her with Ramon um but Jante's Jante has a really fierce song called Bitch You Better 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 oh my god it's so good um so please go check out Jante uh, is in the drag category, I would say for sure. Um, but Beyonce has Jante on tour with her, and apparently all of the bathrooms, and at least this is the headline: the ba- the bathrooms and the venues that Beyonce is going to be touring are all going to be made uh, gender neutral when she's. Yeah, touring. I love that, and, and yeah, I realized now that I, I think I ran into Jante one time when I was a when I was a baby queen or a little baby gay in New York City, mm-hmm. and was just blown away. And mm-hmm. uh, probably quite attracted to Jante. Oh, Jante is so so like, fly like, and so sexy, like, most gorgeous amazing. body, gorgeous, beautiful, like yeah. uh, just beautiful. I think I was probably intimidated by Jante being like, "Oh my God, you're so hot and so amazing." Um, and and you know, Beyonce addressed it. She said, "A queen moves at her own pace," which I mean. You know what? She's right. We're gonna we're gonna eat it up no matter when she she could drop it in ten years, we'll still eat it up. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I think it's not so much the pressure, but I I did I was wondering how she would I mean, you know, it's one thing to have gay dancers and I mean not even you know, Madonna obviously did a lot when it comes to uh gay visibility and queer visibility to an extent in um in the nineties for sure. And even though these images and things and, and individuals were were a part of her, I would say a part of her family and certainly a part of her uh, creative team a lo- around a lot of her uh, albums and, and projects and tours, especially Truth or Dare, which was obviously literally, you know, the tour was made into a movie. Um, I, and there was, even though there was some controversy around that, um, you know, she went the extra mile to sort of stand up and challenge and speak out um, beyond those projects. Uh, and But she didn't necessarily have to because the music and the things that she was doing wasn't necessarily about the queer community specifically, right? Um, ex- you know, maybe it was adjacent. Like Vogue, obviously, that's not about like some straight football team. But, you know, uh, it wasn't explicit. Um, in the in the material, Beyonce's Renaissance is what I would. It's about queer culture. Right? It's about queer yeah. culture. I guess like a, like a queer. Culture. Yeah, it's very much, and it not only about but uses and uh, and partially by the queer community because they are so heavily featured, and she samples so many people's voices on the album and 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 work from other people on the album. Even Vogue is on there. Um, and, you know, and so I, I, I was thinking it would be really weird for Beyonce to have like, you know, these, all this music and recordings with all these queer people and trans people on the thing and not have any of them in the video. And I, I was hoping that they wouldn't just be used as voices without really including them. And I, and I'm grateful that she's finding a way to include these people in whatever way she can. Yeah, I mean, especially in a time like this where visibility is important, I think this is why you see Lizzo bringing a bunch of drag queens on stage Mm -hmm. with her, specifically in Tennessee, so that people can, you know, see the impact that uh, drag performers have on people, the positive impact. You know, I I was saying last night, you know, drag isn't dangerous, it's actually transformative and it saves lives. and like like a lot of art, you know, drag is an art form, and, and art really does save people's lives. It truly does, mm-hmm. especially for those of us who 
um I don't know who are artists. When you when you are when you're an artist and you and you do it despite even when you're not making any money, mm-hmm. <laughs> you realize like it's, it's you have like a, you're just compelled. You are compelled to do it, even though it would probably be mm-hmm. a much easier um, path in life to to try to you know become an, a do something else. I don't, I don't want to diminish any career, but to do another job, it might be a little bit easier and, and require less. Um, you know. It seems like it seems like there's just like a big a big chance that you might not get any um, payback when you're trying to be an artist. It's 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 wild. So I, I'm very lucky that I, that I've been able to support myself for the past like basically uh, 16 years as a as an artist. Mm-hmm. Of or actually even more since I was 18, I've been working uh, as an actor or a comedian in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to do math, but I'm older than that. I, I guess 18, 19, 19 years now. Yeah, 19 years now. Um, and you know, I, I, in terms of these, in ten, Tennessee and Florida seem to be leading the nation when it comes to anti-queer bills. Uh, leading the pack in anti-drag legislation is the state of Tennessee, with the nation's first ever ban on drag shows performed in public spaces. Uh, Governor uh, Bill Lee signed the provision into law on March second. Um, since um, then, at least fourteen other states have enacted anti-drag bills, including. Arizona, Kentucky, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. Um, fortunately, now for a uh, federal federal judge has uh, ha- um, you know halted the Tennessee ban a day before it was set to go into effect on April first, citing concerns that it violated free speech, which it seems very obvious to me. Mm-hmm. What does? Well, that there's some. Um, that there are some violations of people's freedom of speech and freedom of expression mm-hmm. in trying to ban drag shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and <clears throat> it's really weird to me. I mean, you know, they kept, I, you hear a lot of conservatives yelling states, right, states, right, states, rights, And it seems like that's just an opportunity for them to enact their own bigoted behavior mm-hmm. and ideas on people who don't think the way they do, because they know that they're, that a majority of their representatives will uh will fall in line with this kind of um ideology and this kind of thinking um so that's why they're yelling states rights states rights but also federal rights matter and they're there for a reason to protect people who don't necessarily think like the people who are around them in their liberal or conservative or whatever kind of bubble they're in i mean that's 100 percent true and then i can say you know that's that's it's just true uh but it's not new and you know tennessee was hardly the first state to enact anti-LGBTQ legislation. Um, and I think they just, they, as in the people, the architects behind this, the, the, not so much the drag bans, but the architects behind the, you know, um, the anti-trans laws are the same people behind the, you know, critical race theory conversation. And, and they just really succeed at taking a vague argument that's really difficult to pinpoint. The initial target, and this is something that really occurred to me recently, um, the target around, the target of trans people, tra- trans people have been in the target since marriage equality passed. And they first really wanted to use trans people and bathroom bills and, you know, as an introduction to the anti-trans movement that they've been on for years. Uh, They didn't succeed with that in 2016. It just was really difficult because there's no real way to actually, you know, enforce bathroom, you know, bans and, and bathroom laws without having some, without having someone's actual physical safety and privacy um, being violated. And so they were not successful with that. Then a couple of years ago, they moved to trans people in sports, which they're kind of still there. Um, but they had to use a lot of pseudoscience with regards to trans people. And it's just not accurate when you really peel back the layers. Uh, and I think they haven't really reconciled with, you know, keeping gendered spaces that are you know, only in alignment with the with the sex you were assigned at birth, you know, they, they feel like maybe it's a victory to have trans women who they're calling men in the men's rooms and men's spaces. 
but they haven't really reconciled with the trans men who are most definitely men um, in these spaces uh, in women in what they're calling women's spaces. <clears throat> and, and so I think that they realize that there's a sort of a trap door or a, a back door into this whole conversation, like deep into the heart of the conversation. It's, you know, it, and it's the drag bands. It's the conversation around drag because drag is innocuous. It doesn't really have a, although drag can be used as a political tool, it's not a political group that can be defended against or defending itself, right? In order for, you know, that's like them trying to outlaw like pink t-shirts. There's nobody there lobbying against or for pink t-shirts. That just means all the people who like pink t-shirts have to stop what they're doing to go over and march for pink t-shirts. And, and so they realize that, which is why while we're talking about drag bans, they passed three pieces of legislation in states that limit or completely uh, revoke access to abortion. And they've been able to do the same thing with, you know, do you see what they did with Rosa Parks' story? Um, Mm -hmm. When they're come to, in the name of critical race theory, you know, Rosa Parks, as we all know, and it's a shame I have to repeat it, (laughs) uh, was really the, on the, 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 the catalyst uh, one of the catalysts behind the uh, the bus uh, boycott, um, and when you know she refused to give up her seat to a white person who uh, was at the time legally entitled to take her seat because she was sitting in the front and black folks were supposed to sit in the back, uh, she refused. She was arrested, and then the bus boycott um, went into effect, and this really was the 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 financial power that part of the financial power that that black folks How had they changed um, the story? back in the 60s they just said uh at first it was rosa park the first one was rosa parks refused to give up her seat uh to a white person because there was uh the the law the law said that she had to because black people had to sit in the back then there was the second version that said rosa parks refused to give up her seat to a white person period, just because she didn't want to move her seat, not having anything to do with the law or anything to do with the, the segregation. You know, they, they didn't acknowledge the fact that there was segregation laws in place, mm-hmm. right? They just said this lady didn't want to give up her seat to a white person. Then they said they took out all mention of whiteness and said Rosa Parks just didn't want to move her seat. So now it's just sound like a story about a, about a, a lazy lady, <laughs> a stubborn lady, a lazy stubborn yeah, lady. It, it takes mm-hmm. out all context. It takes it takes out the fact that it takes out the <laughs> fact that it was obviously in protest. It it, it 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 you need context for it to make sense. Otherwise, it just sounds like some lady who's like, "I'm not getting up," and they arrested her. It's like, well, then why? And then, as a kid, I I would be like, well, well that's the thing, and and it it it, it brings the sympathy in for the police who stepped in, they arrested someone who wasn't following the rules and, or, or whatever. Like they don't even state what the rules were. They're just like, she didn't give up her seat. So, you know, and, and it's like, good grief, you know? So that happened last week, right? While, while we were talking about the drag bands. Um, and now it's a part of the textbook and, you know, Texas has been historically the primary, um, you know, sort of, uh, they're the ones, for some reason, textbooks in this United States are all c- created and moderated or, you know, sort of modified and created on, in Texas. Um, really? And so, you know, I don't understand why, but they always have been. And so a lot of the conversations about what's appropriate or what's not for kids or whatever is go- goes through the lens of whoever's in Texas, um, you know, on the I don't know much about it, but that's where they come from. That's where they're printed. That's where they're written. That's where they're edited. And that's where they, that's where they're controlled. And so Texas was able to modify Rosa Parks story. And this is the story of, and this, mind you, there's also a move to get rid of black history. Month. That's crazy. Yeah. And I'm, so I'm looking up right now. It says that almost this is all, all happening. I'm looking up right now. The New York times says that almost all 
textbooks are pretty much either made in either California or Texas. That's so crazy. I didn't, I did not know that. I okay, did not yeah. know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's McGraw Hill, which we all probably remember if, when you, if anybody opened their textbook, um, is the largest, uh, you know, publisher of textbooks for all grade levels in the United States. And it's a conservative company. And so they've always been at the helm, but they, and they've always had control. I think there are some committees that, you know, they have to, there's some, there are some things that they have to include. Um, and so I guess in saying you have to include Rosa Parks story, for instance, well, they're like, okay, yeah, we'll include it. All right. And then they can just water it down and, and giving people, um, not to interrupt, I guess white it, children. I found this thing where, where McGraw Hill has a company in, in California and one in Texas. And the book from California says this about white flight. It says movement of some white Americans from cities to suburbs was driven by a desire to get away from more culturally diverse neighborhoods. And the one from Texas says some people wish to escape the crime and congestion in the city. That's crazy. Yeah. 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 Some people, not even white people. Yeah, some people just, it was just crowded and like crane. That's <laughs> wild. Yeah, so th- that's what they're doing. They're literally whitewashing the, you know, or in the, in the, in every, in the most, in the most uh, direct and obvious definition that um, the history, while we are arguing about dra- whether drag queens are raping children or not, and they're not. But that's what we have to be talking about. We're spending our time talking about that. And this is one of the things that really occurred to me is the fight for children. I I always thought that it was disingenuous, which it is, right? The fight for children, the fight to save children from drag queens, from trans people, from, you know, the indoctrination of wokeness or whatever their, their, their enemy of the day is. And it's really interesting to me because... At first, although it isn't disingenuous to me, and it and it and it, you know, it, like for instance, if you're so concerned with the safety of children, why are you focusing on drag queens and not gun control? Because there was another school shooting just this week, right? Uh, and it seems like they're happening every single week. And when they do have the opportunity to talk about, or spend any time or energy on uh, school shootings, for instance. All they talk about is either thoughts or prayers or mental illness. And they don't even talk about mental illness in a way that is comprehensive and uh, an attempt at, at all to really address it other than blame it. You know, like they're just, oh, mental illness. Well, let's talk. Let's put more money into, you know, socialized medicine. And let's really talk. Let's talk. put more money into why it's so difficult to find mental health professionals in our country. There's so much red tape and everybody can get by now that the insurance companies are a scam. Yeah. You know, and and so why aren't we talking about that? Like that should be the number one cause of the of of the people who who are putting more energy into removing restrictions on guns than they are doing things to to really address the fact that too many people can easily get a gun in this country, whether they have mental health issues or not. And, and so like, that's not even included in the conversation, which is why to me, it feels disingenuous, but it really occurred to me that like this move to, to address, uh, children's safety and, 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 you know, protecting the children, like ideal, ideologically really has more to do with the fact that they are really heavily invested in keeping children indoctrinated into the system of patriarchy and capitalism, because if the children don't. Um, are not focused on capitalism and the patriarchy, upholding the patriarchy, the rules of the patriarchy, the the gender binary, uh, and the the sort of despair, the differential in power between those with money and those without money, those with education and those without, and those with access and those without. If If the children aren't learning about that at an early age, and instead they're learning that they can think differently about sex and gender and, and race and class, you know, if, if they're learning that they can think differently about those things, then there's no one to hold up the patriarchy, which means these billionaire corporations don't have a, a connection to the future. 
I, that probably seems kind of esoteric, but I really do think I don't that think that it is, is esoteric. Is I think it actually makes sense. And, and, you know, I see a lot of people online saying stuff like, let, just let kids be kids. But I think that a big part of being a child, not a big part, the main thing about being a child is that you're literally just preparing to be an adult, which you will be for most of your life, given that, given that you mm-hmm. live past 36. You know what I mean? And, like, that's, that's what I think that's what blows my mind in terms of this idea that people just like don't want their kids to know that things exist. Meanwhile, what's going to happen when your kid becomes an adult and just never had access to the knowledge that people exist, people are different to know that they're different. You know, what about the fact that your child, it it seems weird. Like conservatives just never consider that their kid might be queer. It it seems like the book. And I think it's because inherently they believe that queer people are made like you're turned gay, you're turned trans, you're mm-hmm. turned bi or pansexual. Mm-hmm. They believe that it's, mm-hmm. it's that it's mm-hmm. like influences around you that make you into a non-binary uh, lesbian. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and that's why I I just I don't know I find it hard to even be able to take it seriously when these people have the one at band target for having a rainbow on a shirt. You know what I mean? And they include things like uh drag queen story hours, which, which, which uh, have the, um, this, like they, they make it something like that that's covert intention to like, here's the thing, the, the drag queen story, which, which I, I don't, I've, I've never done a drag queen story. I have friends who do drag queen story. hour. harmonica sunbeam, uh, who we know, uh, we just did a, an event with her in, in, um, in New York City. It wasn't a drag queen story hour. She did it just a regular show, a regular adult show with us. And have you ever done a drag queen story, story hour or anything? I have read to some children. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, it, was, it wasn't a, an official drag queen story hour. I mean, I think when we, mostly when we think of drag queen story hours, these are strangers and it is, you know, like, you know, someone at the library or someone in, in that people who've never, you know, have not con- been in yeah. contact with that drag entertainer before, you know, can just go to just like a, a, an event or a fair we, we or it's a community like cousins, event. Cousins uh, I and go- and nephews, like, who are you well, no, actually one of my um, close friends, uh, Matt Katzbowen, who plays uh, guitar for, who plays keyboard for Blondie, but guitar for me, um, his, his child, uh, his children are, queer friendly. They're raising their children outside of the gender binary and outside of the, um, you know, w- with the understanding, like you said, that they might turn out, they could possibly turn out queer one day. And so and the worst case scenario, they might turn what, out to be straight people. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Say straight people. And so that's what that, how they raise their, I remember I, I thought like they're this rock and roll couple. They're, they're no longer together, but they do co-parent. Uh, they're this rock and roll. They were this rock and roll couple um, back 20 years ago when I met them. And I remember they invited me to their wedding and, you know, they they worked with me at the drag bar and all the different things. Um, but they, they, I remember they were like, oh yeah, we're having our, our wedding. Um, the people, the, the business, the wedding recorder, the wedding photographer and, and videographer are um, from the, from this company we found. We love them. It's called like marrymegay.com. And I was like, oh, wow. Like they were really intent on like supporting gay small businesses, right? Um, that were out queer run. Anyway, uh, but they asked me to go and do a drag queen story hour at their house for their kids and the, the at a birthday party with the, uh, neighborhood kids or whoever was going. How, how long ago is this? So are obviously kids, all the parents- it was during oh. the pandemic. It was like 2020, probably. It's kind of weird to think about um, kids who I have encountered in my life. Um, like, I, I saw this uh, very tall drag queen at um, the GLAAD Awards uh, last night who came up to me and showed me a picture mm-hmm. of herself at the age of 12 <laughs> with me. I was like, oh. 12. I said, not you being an, an adult taller than me. This is wild. Uh, I posted on my TikTok if you want to see it's a picture. It's a video, two pictures of me, me and this, this um, I can't say kid anymore, this young adult uh, last night versus at Wigstock. Um, obviously not the, not the original Wigstock, the, the latest iteration of Wigstock uh, that was turned into a, uh, a, a, an HBO documentary called Wig 
which is available for you all to you know check out online. But it was really mm-hmm. just kind of low key wild to be like, oh my goodness, they they grow up so. You know, you can't be a kid forever. You know. No, you can't be a kid forever, and that's and the, the let kids be kids is really the at best it is just a way of saying don't whatever you're giving to this child i don't think is appropriate and i want them to be focused on what i want them to be focused on not what you want them to be focused on like at in the most innocuous way of of defining that or you know sort of explaining that but really i mean you know what we all know what kids do kids have to start going to what before school kids have to go to preschool like kids are instantly thrown into um a sort of a system, an educational system that focuses on teaching them the tools they need to navigate the sort of hierarchies of capitalism. That's ex- that's exactly what school is, right? And from a very early age, maybe not the first day, we start asking them, what is it that you want to be? And instilling like the four things that w- that you can do in society that seem to be the pre-approved things before a child even expresses real interest in knowing what these things are is either a doctor, a fire, a fire person, fire fighter, uh, a doctor, a firefighter. Maybe those are the two things that like kids, the professions that kids learn so much about, right? Um, and they learn about these archetypes of who they can be, but it really is only for the purposes of like what job you're going to do. Because when when it, when a two year old says, "I want to be a doctor," although you know that obviously could change, you know, then parents start getting them doctors sets and buying them toys to be a doctor, and then before you know, they're in fifth grade, and then like they they're almost expected to know what what they what it is that they want to do when they're older, and it really has. It seems to me that that has more to do with. How are you going to fit into society and what job, what job are you going to do um, instead of what's going to make you happy, right? And uh, I always found a, an, a fault with that because I remember when I was younger, I'm getting off topic a little bit, but when I was like 10 or 12, it occurred to me that someone, I never had an answer for like, if I want to be a doctor or a firefighter, because I didn't. And, but, and I always felt like, oh, I, I guess I'm some kind of reject that doesn't really know what they want to do and I won't do anything. Um, but it occurred to me, I think I was like 12 years old or maybe 10, that it's actually someone's job. And this was back in the eighties and nineties um, to make like by hand Christmas ornaments. Now, but now these days they make them in a machine, but I, like it occurred to me, someone actually has that job. And then there, then it re- I realized there could be creative people that get paid to do something that's not being a doctor or a fire person or a police officer. I love that your 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 first profession was gonna be an, was gonna be an ornament maker. You know, I found an old video, an old uh, thing. We, there used to be this thing in, in my school where the where the teacher would shine an overhead projector on your on your head on profile, and then the other students would trace out your silhouette. And then once you traced out your sil- your silhouette, you would write. You would color it in, and then you'd write, or you you cut it out on construction paper, and then you'd write out facts about yourself. And I I, I still remember this. My favorite movie at the time was The Little Mermaid. Uh, My favorite color was pink. Yes, my favorite color was pink, and um and I and I wanted to be in my job. I wanted to be a candy maker when I grew up. Okay, a candy maker. And I remember having to like argue, like she'd be like, "What's your favorite movie?" And I was like, "Little Mermaid." And she was like, no, 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 like, that's not a boy's favorite movie. What's your favorite oh. movie? I was like, I love Little Mermaid. Like, like for me, it's Little Mermaid. Like, that, like I know my favorite movie. That's my favorite movie. My favorite movie is Little Mermaid. Then she accepted it. She's like, what's your favorite color? I was like, pink. And she was like, no, but okay, that can't be. I remember just be like going back and forth with my teacher. And I was in like, I think second grade. And I was like, well, I'm telling you, I know my favorite color and it's pink. Like, lady, my color, my favorite, I know, my, I know what I like and I like the color pink. Um, and then, of course, she also was upset with my job as a candy maker. Actually, she kind of accepted like a child would want to be a candy maker. That makes sense. You're a child. You want to eat candy all day. But she was like, you don't want to be a doctor or a lawyer. I was like, nope, I want to make candy. <laughs> I was like, I know what I want. I want to watch Little Mermaid and I want to make pink candy for the rest of my life, honey. Um, but but yeah, it, it is it is really wild to me how some people just kind of inherently like re- not inherently, but like naturally reject gender norms, and I wonder what it, what it is about queer people that that makes that happen. Like I, I don't even think I was like taught to like 
pink. I don't even like pink anymore. Um, but as a kid, I, I just wonder what it was about me that made me like naturally reject gender norms. You know, I, I, I think it really has a lot to do with the fact that like the, we, we see that nature doesn't even work in these, in these binaries. There are gender, there are, I mean, you know, gender does exist and sex obviously exists, but I mean, in terms of as a, as a, as a sort of societal way of, of keeping us in our jobs, that's the the most, it seems like the biggest value, the biggest function that gender and sex have, the notions of gender and sex have that, that that's the biggest value that they have in modern society. And, you know, really that's for keeping people in control and keeping people to do their jobs and, and, you know, without, without them deviating, it's a way for people to start policing themselves. Right. I mean, in that woman, that teacher was doing her best to uphold the patriarchy and telling you that boys don't like this movie or this color, right? And that's an educator. And so, you know, teachers are only human. I'm sure she's a lovely teacher. But, you know, that was another example of women, you know, upholding the patriarchy, which uses misogyny as its fuel, right? And so that was her un- unwittingly also keeping herself in line. Cause when she was saying that boys don't like this color and boys shouldn't do that. What she was also saying is that is only for girls, meaning girls have to like this color and girls need to l- watch little mermaid. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, I, it's very natural though for people to, to go against and beyond and between all of the rules and the binaries uh, we see it everywhere in nature. We see it in different cultures and civilizations throughout history. Uh, we even see it in in sort of Anglo culture um, back in England, like you know, in the at the sixth at the seventeenth century and eighteenth century England, even sixteenth century England. We we've seen um, you know examples. I don't have any in front of me because I don't remember them, but examples of historic figures who operated outside of the binary and they were revered. You know, which is kind of in line with how other cultures around the world have have, uh, you know, um, connected with, uh, you know, queerness and sort of non-binary identities, even if it's not exactly explained in that way. Maybe the truth is that all people naturally. Like maybe a lot of boys were told that they couldn't choose pink. And they just listened to the teacher and just said, okay, I'll just choose a different color. Maybe my experience of choosing pink as my favorite color isn't the unique experience or the less common experience as much as letting the teacher, not letting the teacher redefine my favorite color, not letting the teacher choose my favorite color for me. I wonder how many boys are like, I want to wear play with with dolls Mm -hmm. and they get told, no, you can't. They just go, okay, well, I guess I can't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Like I never even thought about that. It's, I think it's, it's, I, I think about it all the time. Uh, and it's, I do think about like, you know, our connection to our history and our motherland as people as a part of the African diaspora and, you know, what's going on, what it, what this kind of harkens back to what you, what you said earlier at the beginning, uh, what, what would I, what would I have been doing? You know, I obviously would have been running around in Africa somewhere. Um, if we hadn't been um, invited. <laughs> I'm being very facetious, obviously, obviously. Uh, over here. And we would have been back there. And so, but now I'm comparing that to like Uganda's anti-gay laws that are egregious and terrible. And, you know, I think I thought for a long time that places... I don't think Uganda would have anti-gay laws if it wasn't for the... Well, that's what the, I, um, I was just about to say. They, they've they've, yeah. uh, they've all gone on record and said that we were inspired by this, this uh, pro- the um, the policies that the, that the states... I think it was either Arkansas or, or Alabama or um, New Mexico. I can't remember. Uh, like, they were specifically fashioning their laws and after one of the states here who recently passed anti-LGBT legislation, and then they just ratcheted it up to fit their own, you know, purposes. And, you know, you think about these, um, 
countries, especially primarily in Africa, but maybe even in the Middle East who are anti-queer. Um, and a lot of these places are places that um, seem to rely very heavily on, uh, you know, patriarchal, uh, you know, systems to, to oppress not only the women, but, but also the men in those places. And some of them, not all of them, are uh, places that have really adopted, you know, your Western European colonialism um, into their, you know, way of life. You know, Uganda has a military that's fashioned after the British military has a, you know, like these places, these are places that we would, we're probably not thinking about these ideals and we're not deeply um, rooted in Christianity uh, until, until more recently. Right. And so, I mean, I think, you know, I'm just sort of rambling, but I'm, I have a bone to pick (laughs) with Western Christian capitalist fundamentalist uh, hot take. Peppermint has a bone to pick with colonization. <laughs> Listen, it's very brave of you Pe- to come out publicly and yeah against colonization. Can we take another look at it now that we're here? <laughs> now that we're centuries into it, I think that Pep, I, I think you might be onto something. <laughs> I don't want to say anything, but Uh-oh. I think you might be onto something. <laughs> no, but I think it's, it is really wild. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I, have, I mean, and okay, I always say that I haven't been doing drive that long, but I guess I have been doing it kind of long. But for me, it hasn't been that long because I have friends who've been doing it for much longer. Um, but I've been doing drag for f- fifteen years now, mm-hmm. and I just never thought that that I know that pendulum swings. I know that like liberal and conservative, it swings hard back and forth. And I, and I think the reason might be because when you get what you want, you tend to relax. And when you don't have it, you get angry and then you react. And then the mm-hmm. other side does the exact opposite and they react. And the other mm-hmm. side does the opposite and they react. You know, it feels like, it feels like uh Bush got elected and then, and then they were like, and then people who were more liberal were like, no, 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 no we're going to get this back. And then we got eight years of Obama. And then they were like, no, 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 enough of that. And then we got four years of Trump. And then we got four years of, you know, we're getting four years of Biden. And it just kind of just swings back and forth with like conservative, liberal, all this stuff. And it's because we are in an extreme bipartisan system that I don't think we'll ever be able to break from, at least not in my lifetime. Um, And, but I, but this was, this would have been really hard to predict. You know, I know you remember this. I, I years ago I used to do these things called drag queen weddings for equality in Times Square. These demonstrations every Saturday from noon to four, and um, and I remember I, I did. I, I we vowed that we would do them in Times Square until there was marriage equality in the state, and then we got marriage equality in the state, and then we. I remember the last time we did it, it was like a big celebration. All these queens came out of Times Square. We had the flag. It was me, uh, Miss Cracker, Honey LeBronx, Frosty Floor, like a lot of my friends, Lily Heavenly all came down to celebrate Eugene Love and Dusky. And, um, and then like, I don't know. I just could not have envisioned this from that day. I, this was this, like that they'd be actually trying to outlaw drag in public spaces as if that has happened with any other art form that doesn't include nudity and which which is the wild thing is even in New York City, the entire state of New York, you can walk around topless anywhere you want. Mm-hmm. Anyone can anywhere, and 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 I'm and I'm, I'm intrigued that in Tennessee they're trying to make it where you can't even wear the clothes you want to wear, even if your whole body's covered up. That's wild. Yeah, but it's it's just so it's so. How are these states in the same country? How are these states in the same country? I mean, you could think the same way. I mean, you know, you think the same way when you look back on our history with regards to, you know, the slave slavery and the institution of slavery and that there was at at one point the North and the South, you know, and who had, you know, seemingly different views on slavery. But then, you know, I was, of course, upset to find out that where we were, it was like empowering, but also kind of scary, but also kind of... uh, interesting but creepy but eerie when occupy wall street 
started. This is a whole nother lifetime for a lot of people. Um, Occupy Wall Street was such a wild time. Yeah. So that was such a wild time. And I, for those who are too young to remember, uh, you know, after the sort of financial crash and the bailouts of the banks, which happened sort of on a smaller scale more recently that the banks sort of, you know, became unstable, um, you know, apparently. And then they were, you know, um, bailed out by the federal government. This time the, the banks were bailed out by the by other larger banks, uh, you know, but it was back, in, you know, when that happened, um, you know, suddenly people, the, the, ide- the idea that there was a shrinking middle class and that the idea of classism um, rather than conservatism and liberalism sort of came into people's more in the mainstream consciousness, the haves and the have-nots, the 1% versus the rest of us. And that 1% was, you know, that the talk about the 1% is, you know, that most of the the wealth in our country was at that time, has been for a while, increasingly is, and certainly is today, in the hands of the top. Even worse. Yeah, today. worse. It's less than 1%. The fact uh, that there are less people in the 1% now is a, is proof that obviously the problem is not getting better. Clearly it's not it getting in, it's not changing. getting worse. <laughs> um, but anyway, so Occupy Wall Street was a longstanding sort of um, demonstration set of protests that happened in the country, but then uh, start, started in on Wall Street in New York City, where people were going. These were people who of all different walks of life. Many of them were young, but it was a very diverse group. Uh, for the most part, um, or it was a diverse group. I can't say it was a very diverse group, but it was a diverse group of people, different jobs, different professions, different, um, even different ideologies for, for uh, in different regards, uh, protesting and sort of, you know, building an encampment. And it started with a march and a, and a, a, a you know, in-person protest that turned into um, basically people sort of camping out on Wall Street saying, we're not going to move and sort of symbolically taking up space as wall on wall street in a way that we couldn't do it. You know, you, you have, we have no representation on wall street. Uh, if you're not involved in, you know, st- the stock market and trading and investing in that. And if you're not a millionaire or a billionaire, then wall street isn't for you. And so this is a sort of my explanation of it is a way that to sort of take up a presence there and really force the conversation because with Occupy Wall Street, the conversation really made its way very successfully into politics in a way that I hadn't really seen at the time. Probably, I mean, I wasn't alive during um, Vietnam, but I would imagine the way that the politics, you know, had to address the conversation of the protests against the war in Vietnam. When I was down there, I was in the, I can't remember the name of the square, but there was the, the place where that was kind of considered home base for Occupy Wall Street down near. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that place was also the auction ground pl- uh, block for slave, enslaved Africans coming oh off God. of the boats in the United in America, being sl- and so the, the 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 stock market was literally financially invested in the businesses that were operate. The I'm calling them businesses, but the the the. Is the plantations, Park. yeah, um, that were operating in the South. And so although the North, New York is very much a part of the North, it was did not hold slaves, enslaved people. Um, and it was not, you know, you couldn't do it in New York. You could certainly earn money off of uh, the, you know, the, the, the businesses, I'm calling them businesses, but the, <laughs> the, the plantations that were um, producing economically, uh, you, you know, people held, held stock in those, in those um, plantations, the people who lived in New York and that stock was traded through New York and the slaves, the enslaved people were auctioned off and sold in New York. Isn't that just wild? No, it is. It is wild. And I remember, um, and we should probably wrap up here soon, but I, I just remember watching Occupy Wall Street. It was the first time I, as an adult, I had seen uh, such upheaval um, from so many people. Um, and then, you know, during the, the, the during the 2020 resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, I remember seeing again and being like, oh my God, it, this feels like Occupy Wall Street again, which is where people have had enough. It reminds me of that that scene, you know, I've had enough and I'm, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Is from network. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore. And I think that um, 
that maybe that's the problem. I think that people have to get madder. Love is love is great. Love is love is a great slogan. It is a great way to look at life. It is a nice positive outlook. Um, and and I but I do not believe that the that the appropriate response to bigotry and uh, extreme capitalism is always love. I don't think the answer is always just love them to smithereens. Just love the love out of them. Sometimes you have to be mad and you have to yell and you have to make your voice heard and you have to cause a scene. I've always been really involved in, you know, advocacy and and really, really been interested in in the, the sort of public discourse around social justice. And I would often encounter um, activists and people who really had a sort of loud in your face way and, and disruption as a um, tactic for getting their message across. And I, I really didn't have the opportunity to engage much with that idea, but I, it is, get, can be jarring because it disrupts the flow of whatever's happening. Um, and also the, the, the sort of the thought processes of what's happening with different people. Um, and so like activism as, you know, and sort of crashing in and storming the stage or doing whatever was always, I always saw that as sort of, um, I always judged that as a way to, you're not going to do it. You have to kill them with kindness. But then I realized like both are extremely necessary. You can't always win an argument or a conversation with people by insulting them and, and calling them names and like attacking them because people don't generally respond individual as individuals very well to being attacked. However, attacking systems, um, you know, like Occupy Wall Street, that wasn't like attacking one individual that was attacking a system and attacking these systems and and disrupting the flow of these systems. I agree that it can't just be like, we're harmless, love is love. You know, it's it reminds me of these sort of Martin Luther, what people frame as the Martin Luther King nonviolent approach to the Malcolm X approach, which I know now has been terribly mis- under underrepresented, misrepresented and skewed. Yeah, I agree. Martin Luther King was not Martin Luther King was nonviolent, but he was not not he was but he was very interested interested in disrupting, very interested in disrupting disrupting the flow of things. He just believed in not doing. I'm not I'm not violent either. I mean, I'm not nonviolent. I I, I, I think there's a difference between being nonviolent and being and not being violent. You know what I mean? Um, I ain't gonna turn the other cheek. I will. <laughs> you gonna you gonna bop me? I'm gonna bop you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bop, bop, bop you back, um, but you know. Also, last last thing before we go, I want to say yeah. um, the f- truly the last thing I would say um, is y'all. They, listen, if you are still on the Republican ship, it is not too late to leave. They are arresting all. George Santos has been arrested. Donald Trump has been arrested. I mean, they're all out. But like, is is this the party of criminals? I thought they were the Law and Order people. I thought they were the ones who for. <laughs> They're breaking the law and disturbing the order. Is who they are. Like they, these, these motherfuckers are the law and order people. They are criminals. It is a party of literal criminals. Literal criminals. Literal criminals. Literal criminals. And I can't wait till it's Marjorie Taylor Greene's turn. Turn anyway. I love you so much, Pat. I love you very, very much. We want to keep a um, note to everybody to remind you that the thing that this again that this is against all conservative beliefs, and there's a real measurable research into the benefits of drag performances. I mean, historically, drag is, we know the value of drag. If you're listening to this conversation that you obviously found us probably through our drag, um, and drag, the drag is obviously not going anywhere. So do not be afraid and don't be afraid if you are a drag performer to continue to dress. If you are a fan and supporter of drag, this is a great time to express your support of the art form and the performers, the businesses that employ these performers, and also your desire to have those businesses be brave and bring these performance, these performers to those spaces. Uh, this is a great, as good a time as ever. Um, to, to, you know, uh, to express all those things. Um, and keep in mind that research on the emotional and psychological experience of drag indicates the positive benefits of performers. And I think that, that has a lot to do with the freedoms that you, that, that the freedom that, um, sort of it resonates from a drag entertainer or performance, um, through the audience and then back to the performer. Um, it's, it represents a, it resonates a freedom, uh, obviously a freedom from the gender binary. Uh, it sort of pokes fun at the patriarchy and misogyny. Uh, and then drag can be political. It can talk about, you know, 
It can advocate and talk about lots of different issues that are happening socially. And we, we need that language. Uh, we need those entertainers uh, to continue to lead the cause. And drag entertainers have been in the forefront back in the, during the AIDS uh, crisis in the 80s, uh, obviously during marriage equality. Drag entertainers have been, uh, during Stonewall, uh, they're at the front lines oftentimes to fight because drag entertainers sometimes have the least to lose because we've already lost it in many, in many regards. Um, and so please continue to support uh, your drag entertainers and to the drag entertainers, keep expressing yourself freely and loving and accepting yourself and everyone else. We have been and we will continue to be. Our season two debut is set to air during Pride Month on June 14th. And we're opening with a very special episode as part of a two-part episode on the history of drag in these United States of America. I cannot wait. I love drag. This may shock you all, but I love drag. It's in my name. It's in my name. It's right there in my name. Uh, special um, thanks to our production team, Charlene Westbrook, Corey Nixon, uh, Tracy Marquez, Amelia Ritteller, uh, and our fabulous uh, music producer, LaFemme Bear. Um, thanks so much, everybody. I will see you all on the 14th. Bye, everyone. need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.